Welcome back to Calvary Life. Uh, this is a podcast for the members of Calvary Baptist Church and also anybody else out there that's interested in uh, just hearing things about the life of a local church. And uh, I'm Charles Uptain. I'm Paul Thompson. And today we kind of have a, um, uh, a buffet of sorts of different things to talk about. Um, I think uh, these are good questions, some to just ask Pastor Paul and get his thinking and also see where he's headed, some of the Sunday night things we're doing. And so um, first thing off, uh, I really want to go back up, Paul, and look at um, something we did back in the summer. Uh, our bylaws uh, were amended back in the summer, and we added a confession of faith to the uh, Baptist faith and message that we uh, now um, you know, have approved and, uh, and say that we uh, believe, and that is the New Hampshire Confession of Faith. And with that, um, we have, um, I guess, stepped back into having a creed or, or thoughts of a creed. I wouldn't say having a creed, but I know the pushback to that, maybe not much pushback on us, because I don't think we really got a lot of pushback. Do you? Did no, you I hear think the, no, I think the reception was really positive. Of course, we taught the reasons why, why we are adopting this this confession of faith and why we are adding it to the more fluid uh, confession of faith known as the Baptist faith and message. We wanted something that's a little bit more fixed in history that we think represents well, something that would guard our teaching. And that's what we tell people when they come through membership class is our confession is our guarantee to the congregation of what we will teach Obviously, we can't guarantee what everyone in the congregation will believe, but we can make a commitment to the people, both our own people, members within, but also to the community at large, community outside of us. This is what we teach. And so our leaders are chosen by this. Our elders affirm this. Our teaching will be in line with this. But we thought that the New Hampshire Confession of Faith was a, a solid, historic, distinct, distinctly Baptist statement of faith. Yeah, and there's and it's not the only one out there. I mean, there's a lot of others that we have pulled from. I know uh, in systematic theology, we've looked at one when it comes to um, the idea of the person of Christ, the Chalcedonian. Uh, so it's way back when, I mean, back in, I think this four or 500 AD. And so a really old statement that we can also pull from. But, but something you're going to jump into, I think, on Sunday night right away is another uh, idea of a creed that we want to teach through. So why don't you just talk about what your, your plans are to come? We're going to do something. I hope it'll be interesting to everybody, as interesting to listeners as it's going to be to me in presenting it. But we're calling it a Nicene Christmas, and we're basing that off of a, a teaching series on Sunday nights beginning this week for the Nicene Creed. And so in the Nicene Creed, and there were two versions of that in the Nicene Creed, and this will be based on the um, adoptions or the the additions, the later version, um, 381 um, A.D., that really described fundamental beliefs of the church, what we believe about God, what we believe what we believe about the identity of Christ, what we believe about the person of the Holy Spirit, what we believe about the church and, and our work. And so we're going to teach through this, this great historic creed. You know, Charles, they're really like, they're like four widely accepted creeds that we would identify with historically. Um, the earliest, of course, is the Apostles' Creed, yeah. and we've shared that together as a congregation. The Nicene Creed, we're going to really familiarize ourselves selves with over the next several weeks. Uh, the Chalcedonian Creed, as you mentioned, and then the Athanasian Creed. Um, these creeds were critical, defining points in the life cycle of the church um, that really clarified beliefs uh, about the Bible. You know, you, you mentioned any pushback. Maybe someone listening to this is thinking, wait, wait, wait. That sounds, that sounds very Catholic to me. Um, I just believe the Bible. And my response to that would be, 
while we all would say we believe the Bible, we also all believe something about the Bible. We believe the Bible says something. You know, we just came out of um, a fairly long series in the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus. In the pastoral epistles, we see this constant thread of warning, both for those teaching and for those listening, the elders giving the word and the congregation receiving it, of false teachers and, and false teaching. And we don't see any of those false teachers um, debating with Paul in... You know, Paul is the author of this book. They're not debating Paul about the authority of Scripture. They assume the authority of Scripture. What they're doing is saying, we believe Scripture means something different than that. Yeah. We believe Scripture says something different than that. And so they have invalid interpretations of Scripture. And so one of the benefits to us of these historic confessions is we're identifying with historic, orthodox teachings of the truth, what we believe are right understandings of the Scripture, that keep us keep us tethered to orthodoxy, right. so that we don't repeat the, the old heresies, we don't repeat the the failures of the past, and so um, that's a real benefit to us. You know, we want to summarize some just critical doctrines, both for our own sake, for our people. You know, I was listening to something this week, um, a discussion that was that was on Twitter, and it was talking about the. Um, percentage of our worship services that are that are mostly music now and almost like in a concert format so we're sitting and listening and everything's just given to us and messages seem to be getting shorter and shorter and more and more shallow and yet mm-hmm. that corresponds directly with a, just a growing sense of biblical illiteracy we don't we don't know what the bible says we don't know what it means for us and so i think this is a real helpful way of refocusing us on some non-negotiables you know i would call them salvific essentials, the things that are absolutely necessary for our right understanding of God and salvation. And I think in saying them, speaking them aloud, teaching through them, um, learning them, there's there's a real unifying, health-building, uh, worshipful purpose in that. And so that's what we're about to jump into. Yeah, I, I found this quote. Uh, this is in a book uh, called Bad Confessions, Covenants, and Catechisms. The editors are Timothy and Denise George. And uh, Dr. George says this about the idea of having these kind of um, confessionals or creeds that you have listened to. It says, The malign neglect of these important primary sources has certainly contributed to the theological amnesia and spiritual myopia which afflict all too many Baptists today. Wow, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, you got to love Timothy George. Was he, the, uh, was he still at Beeson? I mean, still yeah. at Sanford near there as the dean yeah. of Beeson? yeah. But just, uh, you know, and his, his book is just a, it's really just over and over about these different uh, creeds, confessions, even covenants. It's funny, I was telling you beforehand, I actually ran into and found our church covenant that actually goes back to 1853. Uh, it was in, it was J. Newton Brown's, the Baptist Church Manual. So our church covenant that we uh, actually still sign today, I had a new member sign it yesterday, is actually uh, word for word from the document of 1853, which is pretty funny. I think that's powerful. You know, we're saying this is not something new, that we're not looking for novelty and creativity. We want to be we want to be rooted in historic truths of our faith. We want to I mean, I know this is sort of a preposterous idea, but if someone from that generation of church were able to show up in one of our worship services, we would want them to hallelujah and amen what they hear because it's the same that they would have been taught then. And even farther back than that, Christians in the first century, early church fathers, that they would be able to say, yes, this is the faith 
once and for all entrusted to the saints. And I thought about this too, Charles. Um, we think about this typically just in internal terms. How does this benefit our people in learning these things and having a, a greater sense of our history and a, a better grasp of orthodoxy and those kinds of things? But I think there's a, there's a benefit evangelistically too that we might not quickly realize. I think this gives us credibility with uh, the outside world when we say, you know, this is, this is not like some of the fluff and nonsense that you see on television or in pop Christian books. And you know, I was at the bookstore the other day. Um, I, I won't name the Christian bookstore I was at, but I think it's the only one we have. <laughs> and, I, you know, I was looking at just the preponderance of books that I just wouldn't recommend. And I, I wanted to sit there and just watch people picking books and say, no, not that one, not that one, not that one. Really try this one. There just wasn't, there just wasn't that much there. The, the bestseller list is just full of stuff that is not rooted in historic orthodoxy. It's just not. It's novel. It's superficial. It's, it's manufactured. It's man-made. Sometimes it's just plain false. And so just the credibility to say, look, we believe what true Christians have believed since the time of the apostles. So that's, that's really the heart of it. And I think it would be a fun series because what better time to address who Jesus is and what we believe about Christ and our salvation than at Advent when we when we consider the coming of Christ into the world to save us. So I think it'll be a neat series, a fun series, and, and timely for us too. And I think it'll fit well with where we've just come um, out of the pastoral epistles. Yeah. One one more thing about that before we move on is you know when we read we read Scripture, there's not just there's not one place that we can go in Scripture and find these truths about God. You know, obviously all of Scripture is about God. So it's just helpful to have something that, that helps us categorize it, helps us put it together. And, and and these people have spent, these were not just statements that they just made in church one day. You know, these were time over time, or a lot of time was put into saying this a way that was really orthodox. And I think we should take advantage of what they have spent the time to do like that. Oh, yeah, and, and just filter, like you said, through so many believers who carefully consider the words that they would use and, and just the beauty of those words. I mean, there's just, there's just such powerful language in, in these confessions. Um, it's just some of the elegance in them, like when we get to the Nicene Creed and we talk about who Jesus is. Jesus is begotten, not made, light from light, true God from true God, um, of the same essence with the Father. I mean, every word carefully considered, and, and you can imagine how they wrestled over these to make sure that they were precise, that yeah. they were that they were correct, that this matched the scriptures. I mean, I think about some of the discussions we have in staff meeting where we're just trying to get the wording right on a on a page that's going to be on the website or part of our purpose statement, and we'll right. wrestle and wrestle over words and technicalities to make sure we're as precise and accurate as we can be. And imagine that's amplified with this. We we're going to speak for the church and this needs to this needs to hold weight. And it needs to be timeless and enduring. And so, yeah, I, I'm kind of, you can tell I'm kind of pumped about getting into the Nicene Creed with everybody, talking about what it is, why it was, and why it matters to us today. Yeah. And and also, you know, uh, speaking of Sunday nights, you know, we have, we've just come off and actually still involved in, in really getting our opportunity for our church to hear from our mission partners in all kinds of ways. And I hope that's been beneficial to people. Can you speak to why we want to uh, put our own partners in front of us like that, and and the things that you hope people will come back for on Sunday night, and just just get a feel for that of what that mission missionary has to say, and and how we see their work for the church family and for the congregation. I have to answer that a little bit first, probably in the negative, because I think about the things that we unintentionally neglect, and that's um, very specific, purposeful prayer 
we, you know, we talk about prayer a lot. We use this sort of, I don't know, threefold formula. When it comes to missions, you can give, you can go, or you can pray. But even in that, in the praying part, without hearing from them and listening to real stories and real challenges, real needs, real names, real people groups, um, real places, those kinds of things, then our praying at best is just nonspecific and so broad, so broad in that we can't really know how God's answering it or if God's answering it. And, and we'll be tempted to pray things like, God bless them, God be with them, God take care of them. But hearing from them, you know, these last several weeks, we've got some very specific people to be praying for. Yeah. A person hosting a house church that could really threaten his his, his life. Right. Um, people hearing about Jesus for the first time who've never heard anything about Jesus and how they're going to respond to that. Boldness and protection for missionaries in difficult places. The list just goes on and on. And so prayer is a big part of it, too. And I think another part of it is missions kind of can become for us, even though our, our churches, I think, I think we excel really in this area of support for missions and missionaries. It can become impersonal, and it can become kind of a concept. And having our own folks in front of us, even people from the International Mission Board who we support indirectly, or people that or out of our congregation, we support directly. Um, I think seeing them face to face brings it all back home to us. That this becomes much, I don't know, much more personal, much more real. I think of Paul in the in the book of Acts, and the visits with local churches and the reports back to those churches. I can't imagine any of the local churches that were growing up exploding during the book of Acts that didn't have a keen sense of their connection to what God was doing in other places. And I think in that sense, the positive is it really lifts the faith of our people. Um, I think it's a I think it's a neat reminder to that senior adult lady sitting there in a pew on a Sunday night listening to a missionary, knowing your prayers and your giving are making that happen that you just heard three thousand miles away. Yeah. And I think that's just I think that's super powerful. Now on a practical level too, I think it does encourage our, our participation. I think every time people come back and report, more people want to go. I think when people come back and share, more people are inclined to give. Um, we've seen just a lot of generosity pour out in the last few years towards missions and mission needs. I, I can't even tabulate it. And results now that are really beyond our scoring. So it's just been a really sweet season. So I hope, let me say this, Charles, I'm giving you a real long answer to this question. I hope that people will never get bored with hearing our missionaries come and report and speak. Um, I hope that will never become mundane for us. Um, in fact, I hope our sense of excitement over that um, expectancy over that will only grow. I want us to get to the point where people are going to be saying to us, hey, we haven't heard from a missionary in a couple of months. When do we get to hear about another missionary? Yeah. And that that'll just become our norm. Yeah, and I actually, um, fresh off the presses, will announce a new mission trip that's coming up. Um, I'm going to lead a group to Guatemala our next our We go twice a year. So we're going to go March 1st through the 4th. And so if you're out there and you're interested in uh, a short-term mission project over a weekend, uh, we're going to head to Guatemala and uh, visit our church down there, our church partner down there, and do some work with elders and deacons and the students and those kind of things. So if you're interested in that, come find me. I'd love to take you with me and uh, and uh, go see Jose and Rayleigh and our other missionary partners down there and um, just uh, continue the work that we've been doing for, I don't know, six or seven years now in Guatemala. Yeah, speak to that because that's a really that's a big shift in philosophy and how we've been doing missions in 
in the last number of years versus in the past where we've been involved in Latin American countries and maybe sort of a maybe more of a hit and run kind of model. And now, you know, talk a little bit about that, the long term investment in a people and a place that you've come to know and that know us and, and how that plays out differently. Well, you know, we, we did a missions conference, as in we, as in the missions committee, went to a missions conference. I don't know how many years ago. There's probably 10 now. Well, I know it was 10 because Bill talked about the UUPG, and that was one of the things that came out of that was us starting to pray for a UUPG. And so it's been over 10 years, and we went, and we really got the mindset changed in us of, of what we were doing was was taking a big team and really going down there and either trying to build a church for someone or continue the work of buildings or something like that and then just leaving it. And really the missions committee got this mindset and this vision of what if we, instead of just leave that every year, if there's some way we can build relationships in those places that continue throughout the year with people that are still there working. Because when we come and go, you know, you can imagine if, if, you know, if we just had church once every six months, how, how, how well is that going to work? Probably not very good at all. And same thing on the mission field. But there's people that are there. There are believers there that just need help. There's believers there that are doing church. They may not know exactly because they haven't got theological education how to do it well, so we can go help them. You know, we can go um, give them some encouragement, advice, what what works here, what doesn't work here for a church that's been around for 65 years or so. So to be able to go into a new church, a new start like that, and really build partnerships with their leadership, their elders, their deacons, has really uh, gives us an, an, I guess it just, it, it helps use what we're good at or what we what we think we're good at, which is having church and, and doing that in another context, their context, and, and letting them build it the way that it really fits them versus the North American model, so to speak. So, you know, Brett, when Brett left here and, and started uh, his work at Missio Teca, which they're hitting 10 years, uh, they are celebrating their 10-year anniversary of, of Missio Teca, um, just being a part of them and, and, and seeing that ministry grow and us being a church partner with a church that's local just means all the difference. And really, it's really become what we do all over the world now. I mean, you know, when we go to uh, Vermont, we're looking for a church planner there. You know, we've got Michael Carroll now that's someone we're interested in. We've got all the stuff we do in the in the um, you know, Far East and all these other places. Now, it's really about let's go encourage churches and help the, them become healthy. And I think that's what we see our mindset towards missions becoming and being. Yeah, and I think it's so much more fruitful. And it's in our people benefit so much more from it and you know shifting that mentality how do we serve those missionaries how do we serve those people there best and how do we do it long term to really be part of something long term has really been cool to see that kind of begs the question here's sort of an awkward segue <laughs> all right so we had this little discussion in staff today um, one of our prayer concerns was where we are currently on the budget with a larger budget deficit than we have seen in quite a while so when people ask about that, or if maybe if they're not asking, maybe this is what they already think. Charles, how, how would you answer this? Does that number matter? I mean, does it really matter that you, people look at that budget, they're going to come to church on Sunday, and if they look on the back of the bulletin, they're going to see the financial numbers, they're going to say, wow, we're behind X number of dollars. Does that matter? Yeah, and, and I would say it does. It matters for our future. Um, it really probably doesn't matter presently because we're already – you know, we have ministries and we have a finance team that is making sure that we don't overspend what comes in, but it does really benefit or tell us what we can spend in the future as we try to set the budget for the future. And then also, uh, there are things around the church that we put off. There are things that we choose to do different ways when funds are limited. And so, you know, I even mentioned, you know, in staff today, hey guys, if you have a ministry item coming up, 
well, let's think about D now. D now's about to be here. Well, what if I tell Reagan, I know you won't usually spend, you know, $10,000, but really you just need to spend seven this year. Well, what does that do to ministry? It means it's, it's not done quite as well. There's things we don't do that we would normally do. Um, and so it, it does matter. And there does, and our staff is great about controlling spending when, when we ask them to, and when we ask them to back off, uh, they've always done a great job with that finance committee really appreciates them and how they do that. But I, I like the years when we don't have to do that, when we can really do it at 100% exactly what they feel like they need to do for ministry. And then the other side of that is is the percentages. You know, our, our budget is 20% of every dollar that comes in goes out in missions. Well, if we have less dollars coming in, that 20% is smaller. So really, we're we're our mission partners are um, hurt, maybe the word, um, less supported uh, every time we don't meet our budget because we're giving less a percentage out than what comes in. And just just in case, I mean, maybe this goes without saying or should, but it, just in case it doesn't, you know, we don't spend anything on, on credit. We spend what we have, and we make plans based on what what's available. We try to be good stewards that way, but it does have an impact. And we're getting ready to approve a budget for 2024 that in a large portion is based on giving in 23 and 22 and 21, what we anticipate. And so um, it, 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 it affects plans being made, projects being taken on, and even some things that may seem kind of mundane, but maintenance things, like you said, putting some things off. You know, every now and then somebody will approach me, hey, why haven't you guys fixed so-and-so? Why don't you guys fix this? I think the average church member might be surprised about how much actually does go out in maintenance yeah. for a large campus, um, some of it a bit older than the rest, and just the maintenance, and how diligent we really are in upkeep and maintenance and those kind of things. But that's a costly proposition. And, again, so it, it does matter, and I would just encourage people listening that, um, particularly if this is your church, if you're, if you're a Calvary person, that to give generously, you know, I think of the passage in Scripture that talks about excelling in giving, and I think we excel in, in a number of things. Let's continue to excel in giving. Yeah, and really, you know, where the rubber meets the road with that is, as members of this church, the members of this church have have voted that that was going to be our budget, and so are we. Are we living up to what we've budgeted to do? Or is what we've committed to do, I guess, is a word for that. You know, um, we, we believe that if you're a member of our church, you're, you're not a consumer. You're not one that comes and just gets. You're instead, you're a provider. You, you provide encouragement. You provide um, the, the talents we need, all of the things that make the body of Christ what it is. But part of provision as well is providing for that budget. And so I hope everybody that's a member of Calvary came seeing themselves as how they're providing and being a provider in this church and not a consumer, because that's, that's the mindset uh, that we want for a healthy membership, I think. Yeah. Well, we've got another really good podcast coming up next. Um, if you were here hearing a presentation from one of our missionaries, we're going to revisit some conversations and some ideas that were stoked during that presentation about what should our attitude look like towards people who are culturally different than we are, religiously different than we are, and in in this current climate, sometimes very much perceived by us as enemies. You know, what do we do with what do we do with Muslim people? Um, what do we do with the world that's changing around us and encounters that might not just be had at the mission field on the mission field, but might be had at the grocery store um, or at work, that sort of thing? What should our attitudes be? How do we approach? How can we have Christ-centered, gospel-forward conversations, and how can we be on mission here? So we're going to talk about some real practical things 
um, in the next in our next podcast that I hope you'll you'll make a point to listen to. Yep, it's it's going to be good. You know, I've I've really been challenged both uh, the last two Sunday mornings um, just in the idea of of evangelism. You know, I think sometimes we 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 know that's what we as church members need to be doing is sharing the gospel. Um, but I think it's good for us to be uh, convicted of when we're not, you know. And I think the last two people that have spoke have just really um, spoke to how they've given their life to this and how they've died to Christ, and, and that should be our mindset as well in the neighborhoods around us. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that conversation next time. All right, so uh, that'll be it for us today. Thanks for listening, for joining us. Remember, if you if you have questions, if you want a, a subject for us to uh, toss around, we ask you just to email us at podcast at calvarydothan.com, uh, and we'll be glad to handle that in the future. But uh, for us, we are for God, for Dothan, and for the world. See you next time. Mm-hmm.